I am a conversational um, in- inquisitor. Yes, he's not <laughs> so, a journalist. So not a journalist, but I do I do take on some of the aspects of journalism in the, in the case of uh, following up on questions based off of previous answers. So although I don't know a ton about what you've written, yeah. because I like to come into a lot of things fresh, uh, I am aware of some stuff. So if uh, I could, Laurie, would you be willing to introduce yourself to the audience? You're listening to the Can't Sell This Podcast with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. I'm Laurie Petro. I'm the author of, most recently, Love Heather, also a sister of mine, and Between. <laughs> but you're also, also faculty at Ryerson University. At uh, Ryerson University in the RTA School of Media. I teach digital media, media theory, digital culture, storytelling. Yeah, and you know, we we met as in my role of a of the manager of the collab, but but having followed you on on um, Twitter, uh, I've watched you working on your novel and writing and and the process of writing, and that's really what brought my attention to having you on as a guest, particularly. A comment you made, and I, I, I want to think it was almost offhand, and it probably didn't. You probably didn't think like, "Oh, this is going to resonate," but, <laughs> but to me, I was like, "Oh my God, yeah, that makes a lot of sense." Because you know, I've changed careers quite often, and, and my jobs are never exactly the same. So, it, the thing you had said was, "You have now written in three different, not necessarily genres. Would genre be correct?" I don't know. So you've I, written a yeah. book of short stories. Yes, a book of short stories, uh, a novel. Right. And a young adult novel. Right. And in each situation, that then puts you at the beginning sure. of those things. Like, it's not like you went to another book of short stories. I right? keep being described. The reason I wrote that tweet is because I keep being described as, or they keep being described as my debut <laughs> young adult novel or debut novelist. Right. Or, but then, like in the star, they called me a seasoned novelist. And so I think, well, I'm not quite seasoned, but I. I three I'm books not, is pretty good, three though. Three Three books maybe a season. And this but. isn't like self-publishing? This no, is you legit, legit. Have, a, have a thing? Which isn't you... to say that self-publishing isn't legit, but um, it's old I, school. I've self-published, so I totally understand. <laughs> right, right. Which isn't, I'm not, I'm not discrediting it. I'm uh, old school, like I decided to go that route. But, mm-hmm. um, I guess, yeah, I, I, it was sort of like this reinvention. I also feel this, and so maybe we wouldn't call them genres, but maybe categories or, uh, you know, it's, I'm learning so much about the publishing industry with every time. And I would yeah. say that actually regardless of whether you always write a particular kind of book, every book is your first book. Right, right. Your, your publisher that you have a long relationship with may or may not buy it. You might be introduced to a new publisher, new editors. You, The editor who you had a relationship with might have moved on. So you like every single time or even backing up, like you've written the first draft and you don't know if it's garbage or not and your agent reads it and you're waiting on tender hooks. I mean, every time feels like the first time. Well, and, and, and in the case of uh, going from like a general public novel to a young adult novel, would you not require a different kind of editor because that person, their specialty would require a different eye and a different thought towards the audience? Sure. So we didn't know. I didn't know, certainly. <laughs> I didn't know I was writing a young adult novel. Oh, okay. And it is being marketed as a young adult adult crossover. And so mm. the same editor who edited the U.S. Um, edition of Sister of Mine edited Love, Heather, Um and it is, it's a mature young adult novel. So I've got a 13-year-old and I'm not quite ready for him to read it. So 
and he's a voracious reader. But, okay. Um, I feel like, and like I said, I didn't know it was a young adult novel. I didn't know The Sister of Mine was a thriller. I mean, that comes to the whole conversation around uh, marketing. And, right. Um, you know, covers and titles and the way that a book is marketed to a public might be completely different than what an author had in mind. And so right. Sister of Mine, I mean, if you look at the covers, there's, you know, kind of this... Um, atmospheric silhouette there might be flames there's it looks very brooding and it is those things but you know the american edition looks a lot more like a thriller um and i didn't really know it was a thriller and so a lot of interviews people <laughs> will be like what are your favorite thrillers and i don't really read thrillers and so, but then some readers will be like this isn't really a thriller and i feel like chiming in like i know i know it was never intended I didn't to mean be for it to be for me it's like it's a, it's a story about you know, the relationship between two sisters. And right. uh, Love Heather also kind of marketed as a thriller. Um, and so a lot of readers are saying, wow, this isn't what I expected. I thought it was going to be a straight ahead thriller. And it's not. And that and it wasn't intended to be. And so, um, you know, I sort of feel like sometimes as an author, you're a passenger in the machine that m- propels the thing forward. And, you know, I and I respect that process. Right. And I respect that machine because I've elected to go that route. It's really and interesting. And I defer to the people who know readers and know the public and know the book buying public and know bookstores and know Indigo and libraries. Like, there are so many different variables. So I kind of have to defer to the people who are the experts when it comes to how the book is put forth and then leave it to the readers to read it and make their own right. decisions but, on it. Uh, well, okay. Well, that's interesting. Do you, do you find more often than not that if it gets mis... All right, not... Let me think about this. Do you find that those two books were miscategorized? Would you have said, no, 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 this isn't a thriller at all. Like, why would you put it in this section? This doesn't make any sense. Or do you... Or as you say, you're a passenger to it. Do you feel like, sure, it could be a thriller. There are thrilling moments. There are things about it that I find, you know, bring up the the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. But overall, like, it's not a... It, that's not the message I had intended at all. Like, I would say early on, I was sensitive, um, you know, to... And this comes, uh, this brings up the idea of uh, like commercial fiction and, you know, commercial fiction, you know, compelling books, page turners have the stigma around them that they're not quality writing. Huh. And so, and that's terrible because there is incredible, especially in Canada, incredible commercial fiction out there. And so I was very sensitive early on that I wasn't sure if I wanted it to be considered a thriller, but um, a very astute friend of mine said, are you crazy? And look, your book's now in two different parts of the bookstore. It's yeah. appealing to different readers. Like just because something can have a, a page turning compelling element doesn't mean that the writing can't be great. Well, and, and so, do you feel that the stigma, sorry to interrupt, but do you feel that the stigma is more insulated within the community of writers and editors and publishers as opposed to the general community of people who read? Like people who read don't go, well, I don't, John Le Carey's not a real writer. You know what I mean? Like just no, because something's a page turner. True, but I feel like even with readers, there's this apologetic, well, I just read, like people will sometimes introduce the kinds of books that they read with this, with this apologetic intro, mm. like will qualify it. I just read, you know, I just, whatever. I just eat them, the I eat them up, eat them up. Or I just read the, yeah, the sure. genre I just read this, you know, the pulpy kind of, and, and, and that suggests something that mm-hmm. you're not either a serious reader or they're not serious books, but, um, you know, and I think also in, within writers as well. So there's, you know, there's sort of right. a snobbery that can be, um, rife within the writing and the reading community, but there are so many books that crossed, cross both lines, um, I will say that maybe I was wrong and maybe it is a thriller and maybe the books I read are thrillers. And so like, I think that some of these terms, you know, you can drive a truck through them. And so as you say, like if there's a book that's got some thrilling elements to it, then maybe that's what it is. Yeah. And you'd actually, I think it was yesterday you tweeted, um, 
that you overheard a conversation between two millennials and you're like, and people wonder where I get my ideas. <laughs> and I, I think it's, you know, one of the things that a creative person tends to um, feed off of is their surroundings. And most often it it isn't that the imagination is the thing that drives them. It's uh, uh, being observant that drives them. And I wonder if how much of the product that you've created um has has come from just being an observant creative right um i'm i in terms of my actual surroundings like buildings i'm the least observant person <laughs> like i get out and it always go the wrong way right they could tear down buildings and i won't recognize that they're gone but i'm i listen to conversations i pay attention to nuance um that sort of thing i also feel like i'm aware of uh things that are timely in the news so with love heather I thought, you know, during, unfortunately, all the school shootings, I remember thinking, you know, post Me Too, after decades of, you know, women experiencing all kinds of things, we never had a female school shooter. And what does that person look like? And what is that person's experience like? Um, and so Love Heather, the genesis for that was, who's that girl? And what's she gone through? And what does it take for her to get to a, a point of desperation? And how do we internalize that and how do we judge that you know whenever something like that happens we're very quick to make assumptions about people and so that was uh the genesis of that idea was me reading the news kind of pausing letting letting things percolate and that's something that i think is really important as a writer but also hard to do increasingly with having your phone constantly in your hand um I was just away and uh, over the weekend and put my phone away and found myself jotting notes and letting ideas percolate and stare out windows and that kind of thing is really important to let ideas kind of fester and they may not be great ideas but at least they might be the start of something that becomes something later on. Yeah, I, I think um, more often than not we rely on our consumption of information as opposed to the creation of information or, or even, you know, we are in the podcast we talk a lot about creativity and and how you know one single idea can become a, a grand story depending on how far you want to take it and and the the podcast initially started based off of the the, uh, the concept of giving up on things and and how can we revive them mm-hmm. and oftentimes the distraction of the device in front of you can be the thing that makes you give up on something that could have been great and it it has it has less to do with how motivated or ambitious you might be it has more to do with how distracted you can get yeah and not following through because we just want to take a break and then the break becomes something else Mm -hmm. um yeah i would say that's definitely true like there's that kind of that that distraction is huge yeah Um, i think often when when i people that I follow that are uh, writers or, or artists, they really talk about putting down their phone. They talk about, I keep my book open and not mm-hmm. my phone and, and, and how, how we can, we choose the level to which we are committed to something. And I, I, I sometimes think, you know, I, I, there's a script I want to write, or there's a, a short story I want to write, or I want to follow up on something I've already written my choice is to pick up the phone instead of standing at my desk and writing. And I, my desk is a standing desk. <laughs> so it's like standing up, like leaning over. <laughs> it's because my back hurts. Um, but I wonder, like, when you make that conscious decision, like with Sister of Mine or with Love Heather or, or with um, Between, you decide. You're the one that makes that decision. And, and how often do you beg off of going, I'm not going to go out or I'm not going to be social or I'm not going to do the things that we are starting to become ingrained to think are value? 
how often do you do that so that you can maintain a schedule that makes sense for writing? Uh, not often. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that I am, you know, I, I enjoy those things and they're part of like, I mean, any writer will tell you like half of their day is like eating and, you know, being on Twitter or staring up and yeah, or doing laundry or anything, but what they're, what they should be doing. I have no different, but, um, and you know, another writer might say that's part of the process, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I think, I mean, reading is really important to me, um, and committing to reading as part of the process of writing, um, as I said, it was just away on the weekend, and I was with uh, 19 other women, and there was a party going on. People were playing cards, and music was blaring, and I w- was reading, and they kept, you know, poking Come fun on. at me. Well, I was right with them, but I yeah. was, and I think, and and but then I, I looked across, and I was like, but she's on her phone, and she's on her phone. And yeah, this is the same thing. Yeah, um, you know, like to try to, uh, I'm able to to read and find that that pleasure in it, sort of anywhere that I am, and I think that that's something that I hold really dear yeah um, I, I love to read and it makes me want to write yeah um, but all art does um, I was recently at a um, a Hoxley workman show a really small v- venue in my little town and I was listening to him and his songwriting was so good and I was like this makes me want to go home and write it was so corny <laughs> but I was like oh you know like reading other good creative uh, right. work really inspires me and so that's something that's very important to me regardless and it's not hard for me to do that's not hard um, hard is when I'm actually writing and I'm like oh this is a tough chapter or this is I'm bored or yeah. I, like the first draft's so hard because um, the step in front of you is it's like there's nothing there right and you just have to keep on carving I, out a path I would think that I, I mean I obviously don't know about your creative uh, process but but a lot of what I do is I get started on things and I have yet to finish 95 percent of them <laughs> and and I find that you know like I said important. you know the self-publishing thing the short story the, the the conversation about the short story had happened a year ago at Halloween and I told Stefan about it it was an episode in the podcast listen to our podcast subscribe obviously um that's totally a joke you're obviously listening to the podcast <laughs> but that conversation led to me saying in the podcast this was a, a short film and I realized no 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 it was always meant to be a short story I don't know why I thought it was a short film in my head I can visualize it but that's what writing is sure. right it's creating a, a, an image for someone I had thought and this is a total aside but I had thought a little while ago how I put my own accents into people that I read so yeah. I hear the voice I want to hear the mm-hmm. second you see something made into film it's entirely different from what you thought you were going to hear. Read the book first, people. Read the book first every <laughs> time, every time. And I, it, it, I find it, it's utterly satisfying when, a, when an ad- adaptation is is good, you yeah. know. And, you, and I feel and you like go, you can't go wow. the other way. You can't see the film first and then read the book because the film, the visual medium, is so powerful. Um, it's hard. It not paints to, the picture yeah, for you. It paints the picture, so it's hard you know? not to picture that cast or. Usually, I, yeah. It's just I remember. Listen, I and this is. I'm so. I'm so old. But I can remember reading the world according to Garp, oh, I love and then seeing yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah. You know, and and just going like, oh my god. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad I read the book. It, it's such a great book and a great film and a great film. Yeah. And a great film and like yeah. and and to me that was one of that. That's kind of the litmus test of of like adaptations for me. And I I'm a huge movie guy, yeah. so like I watch movies all the time. My son and I watch movies. Yeah. We go to movies. I go to movies by myself. Um, but in general, if there's a book, I will read it first because I really don't want to have I don't want to have the book. Oh God, it's going to sound bad. Poisoned by the visuals I already have, you know. 
I mean, that's the Harry Potter rule in my house. The Harry, yeah. Oh, oh my God. Okay. So yeah, my son's thirteen as well, and 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 my son was allowed to yeah. watch the movie once he'd read the book, okay. and he had to prove he'd read it. Yeah. Which got harder once I stopped reading the books because I didn't, I mean, honestly, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a thing for me. I just, I read like four. Sorry, I'm, I, you know. You stopped at four? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, like you stopped, I'm sorry, I have to get granular here. You stopped after the fourth? Yeah, I, I well, uh, the thing was is that I, I had, I didn't realize any, I, I was a 30 something year old guy when the movies came out and I honestly was like, I don't want to read kids books, you know? So now I feel awful. You really should revisit them. Fine, whatever. We have them all. I mean, we have them all. We have forced my also, son to read them. I would also say that the audiobooks, uh, as narrated by Jim Dale, are outstanding. See, okay. Now we're in I a, know this Stephen is, Fry does them also. It's okay. I don't I don't do audio. Neither do I. I that's can. the only audiobook. Okay, actually okay. that's not true. That and the Penderwicks. But like when we're driving, so I drive to soccer like six days a week okay and it's not it's like 45 minutes each way no and we listen to we've been listening to harry potter has been the soundtrack of our lives i used to put it on when the kids came home from school it was like valium right they would calm right down right and they're amazing and so maybe that's going to be your entry into harry potter when my when my um when i i lived in a small town when i was a kid and uh the library had a very small supply of tapes books on tape which is what audiobooks used to be on tape. So I guess they're, I assume books on LP at one point too, but books on tape. So my introduction to, to audiobooks was Douglas Adams reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I was just like, this is amazing. One, Douglas Adams knew what he wanted to say. He knew how to say what he wanted to say. And he said it. And to me, that was like, that's how I knew the English were the author you know the English was the author of the, you know that's the language that's the accent that's how I knew how Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy sounded well sometimes listening to the author I mean I I didn't think that David Sedaris was funny until I heard him reading oh really um, and then I, now I'm like his biggest fan but like I mean the first uh, time I read one of I had one of his books and I read it and I was like I couldn't get it right but then once I heard him on uh, NPR I was like oh my god he's hilarious I think I heard the Santa Land Diaries and then I went back and now whenever I read his books I picture his, his voice his, right his voice. you hear his voice and his voice is so yeah you know, distinguishable. Yeah. I had, I, I had written, um, a, a poem that was a Christmas poem. Like it was called Santa quits and it was all about Santa giving up and how you get him back from the brink of retirement and all this stuff. And my friend, John is a, a children's book editor and, and now works for owl. Not in, I don't think editing anymore, but whatever. Anyways, he read the poem. I say, hey, could you read this poem? I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not an author. I'm not a whatever. So I'm a dabbler of many things. And one of the things I dabbled in was this poem. So I sent it to him like, could you read it? I'd love to get your impression. I, there's not like a, I want to be published. It was just, what do you think? So he, he, he just, he's like, can we take you out for beer? I'm like, sure. Well, this is going to land hard on my poor ego. He was like, poetry is hard, Hugh. Poetry is hard. And I was like, oh, okay. And, he, you know, he said there's a lot of things about it. I think that the story and it, we went into it and we had a good conversation. And then we had an episode about that poem with John as the guest. And I read the poem. And at the end, he goes, you know, I think I was kind of hard on you. He goes, when you read it, yeah. I get the nuances that you're trying to get across that I couldn't read. Sure. And I thought, all right. I mean, again, not a poem that's going to get published it's, unless I throw it into a, a book and, and publish it myself, which I probably could do. But it came down to the person who wrote it, read it to the person who read it, yeah. you know, and they all of a sudden could hear it 
the way you and in- the intention was there. I think that holds true sometimes. Sometimes authors are the worst at reading. I mean, I think both is true. I mean, I don't, I don't know where I land on that, but there was, <laughs> there was a. So there's an audio book of Sister of Mine, and they sent me three narrators to choose, okay. three, three voices to choose right. from, and one was like pack a day husky husky oh. voice. And one was, I can't remember, it, was, it, I just, it, did something, it didn't do it for me. And the one that I chose, I swear to God, it's Siri. Like, I think Siri. Really? Like, Susan like, Bennett? So, it's so <laughs> middle of the road. Oh, boy. Um, and I only have, I haven't even listened to the whole thing. Like, I just, I haven't listened. To, I'm sure she did a great job. But it was one of those things where listening to these different, completely different takes on the book did change. Um, right. You know, like, it did have an impact on my perception of the material. Um I don't know that I would be the person to read it, and I don't know how I feel about reading my own work. Um, but I hear what you're saying. I think that you know you get that nuance that you intended. Um, you're you're able to kind of put that out in the world. But when you do even like the smallest book tour, sure. and you and you're sitting at a you know in front of a, an audience and read an excerpt, and you read an excerpt, yep. that's the that's the voice of the person who wrote it. Sure. So and you know, that and feels you, good about so that. do you? There's a question sure. that I I think I might have that I absolutely have. <laughs> <laughs> when you are sitting in front of an audience, how much thought do you give towards the excerpt? Or is that something that has been predetermined by you and the publisher or, you know? I've gotten some advice around that. My first uh, publisher said, you know, never more than a, a couple pages. Okay. Um, and then my editor from HarperCollins said, don't read an excerpt at your book launch. Like everyone there is going to buy a book. Like right. we're here just to celebrate with you. So I've taken that advice as well. Um, so yeah, I try to give some thought. I try to give them a taste of the writing, a taste of who the characters are, um, and, and maybe a scene. There's always a scene that I particularly like. Right. That I feel like was well-crafted or that kind of get, leaves them with an impression of something about to turn. Um, so that's that's the thought that I put into it. But I mean, I don't love that. I mean, despite the fact that I speak in front of front of like 400 students when I lecture, I find right. it very hard to stand up. Well, it's like, a different thing. It's very different. I'm doing a book talk tonight in Burlington, and I'm nervous about it already, mm-hmm. even though it's probably going to be just a handful of people. Like, it's it's very different because you're talking about yourself and you're talking about your own work. And even though the people there are arguably reading, rooting for you much more than students are, <laughs> yeah. um, it's completely different because I can't lean on knowledge. It's so personal. And writing is so solitary. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of a high-performing introvert. And you you work on this thing by yourself so long and then you're kind of expected to just turn yourself inside out and suddenly you're an extrovert and you're right hucking this thing and you're shaking marketing hands, signing and books. yeah signing books and yeah. You're, you're promoting it and you feel sick about it all the time um so there i mean that, that those completely flip sides of the publishing experience mm-hmm. are easier for some than others i think but definitely hard for me i i had a conversation with a uh an uh new media artist named hillman curtis back in He's he's passed away, but um, he did a lot of public speaking, and he was very influential in my life. And I had I had the opportunity to speak to him. I we were speaking at the same conference, and I said to him, "Do you get nervous before you do a talk?" And he goes, "Probably not the same way you do." And I and it really stuck with me the the way that I now think about public speaking, mm-hmm. because I run a, an event in which I put people on stage and I understand their nerves. Mm-hmm. So I I tend to try to set the tone and show them, this is not a big deal. You do not need to feel the pressure. And it was something that he him saying I don't feel it the way you do, made me reevaluate how I feel nervous. Right. And 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 how 
you know, somebody else had said to me, they're there to listen to you mm-hmm. and, and you can be the one that's nervous, but honestly, they're all there for you. And you just saying now, like, oh, they're all rooting for me. Yeah. You know, it's not like a group of students who's judging the content of right. my lecture based off a curriculum. Sure. These are people that are there specifically yeah. to hear you speak, yeah. you know, and that's, that definitely must help a little bit it in the moment, things. you know, yeah, it eases things for sure. My mother's always front row, which actually makes me more nervous. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like my cousin comes to everything. And this morning he texted me and said, um, I'm going to be there tonight and bringing carload of people. And one time he went, we went from one and then he came to another one. I said, God, Steve, like, you know, you go to all of them. It must be so boring for you. Like I say the same thing at all of them. And he said, oh, Lori, I'm not listening. <laughs> I'm not listening. <laughs> She's there to show support. That's I'm listening nice. to you. I'm not listening. <laughs> Meow, actually meow, made me, meow, made meow, me feel meow. better. <laughs> You're like, oh, sweet. Okay, cool. Say That's good. I Maybe want. mom's doing the same thing. <laughs> I, you know, I need some cranberry juice. I don't know. Right. My friend, my friend John is uh, the the editor. He's he's in a band, and he, they provide the music for our for our podcast. And they, the band launched a few years ago, and, and I've gone to a lot of shows. And at one point, I said. Listen, I, I can't make the sugars. Oh, listen, you've you've heard the music. It's not like it's changed, right? And now they've launched a new or released a new album, and and it, and it was like a, I have not been to as many shows with the new album, and 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 I'd said like I'm really sorry. He goes, no, it's okay. We were still, you know, yeah. like in his mind, like I've 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 shown support. You've shown your support, you know. Introduced. And I think that's interesting too, because so this book, Love Heather, is coming so quickly on the heels of Sister of Mine that. I mean, not as many of my friends turned up at the launch for, or not even friends. Like, so the, the launch for Sister of Mine, I saw people that I had gone to, I hadn't seen in like 25 years, like who were just so excited to turn up. And this time, a few people who I hadn't seen in 25 <laughs> years showed up. But like, they're like, okay, like we just, you just had one. Like, so it wasn't, it wasn't. You could slow it huge, down now with the writing. Thing. But I mean, that's interesting too, because like sometimes that was a two book deal. Um, so there, oh, actually, okay. there actually are deadlines and, yeah. you know, I was really excited to write another book and I was actually, I work very well with deadlines and I'm okay. very goal oriented. So that works well for me. But, you know, just sort of one of the things that sometimes you don't think about is people be like, well, they're really churning them out, but they might be on contract. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, That's really interesting. Yeah. So when you, when, when, I don't know the right word for it, when you landed the contract for Sister of Mine, they said, look, it's going to be this other book. And was it, was it based off of the, the, um, the short stories or they just you just pitch them on this one book and they said well let's give you two or yeah so they well they they will read they read the book like you don't pitch oh anything. oh oh so, oh. so uh, for fiction anyway um they they read it and then they buy it based on huh. what they've read so they read sister of mine they bought it and they bought it as a two book deal not knowing what the next book would be and my uk publishers did the same and then I wrote Love Heather, and they were one of the first ones to say, this is staunchly YA, and we don't publish YA, so we're not going to buy this one. Wow. So I still owe them a book. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah, it's good. Isn't that not? I mean, like I think it, it is. Because they're not going like, this is garbage. They're no. just like, this is YA, and we don't thing. do that. We don't do that. So, um, hmm. and that was one of the first times that I was like, huh, is it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Really? Oh, well, that's fascinating. So, you mean because it's a because it's a teenager, but that doesn't make it a young adult book. No, I you think know? a lot of things make it. So yes, it's a teenager, but it's written in first person. So mm-hmm. I think um, there are all these kind of factors um, that kind of can contribute to whether something's considered young adult. But okay. it, like I said, they're they're it's being marketed as young adult adult crossover. Right. I've only known of a f- handful of teenagers who've read it, um, but a lot hmm. of adults. So I mean, pr- prim- primarily adults who love. Like a YA, an older YA, but everyone who's okay. reading it is saying, 
Like this is not young. Like this yeah, is, yeah. So I mean, it still crosses that line between hmm. the two. But yeah, between the with the book deal, so it's like if they don't like it, then they might say this isn't our thing, or this, or we don't, we're not digging it, or whatever. And then you owe them another book, um, and hopefully they'll. But still, there's there's another book. Still there's another so book. that's good. Do you have? And this is this is sort of. I wonder if this might become advice. Do you have, uh, like a, a small book, a notebook that is essentially like this is an idea for a novel, or or is it just, you go from the initial idea to full on writing, or I have the first page of like fifteen notebooks. We'll have scattered notes okay. so I have a whole bookshelf full of notebooks because you know one of the great things about Indigo I'll say is that they have all these like you know book themed tchotchkes <laughs> that people buy me so I have like book bags and mugs and right. journals the people that's like they're like oh you know I'll get the socks anything you know? <laughs> and I, I embrace it all bring it so I have like a bookshelf full of you know you know, and so she persisted journals that people have given me and I'll write notes on the first couple pages and then I'll forget about them. I also have a whole bunch of unfinished Word docs. I also have texts that I send to my friend Marissa, like I sent one this morning. What do you think about this idea? Um, like, I, so they're scattered to the wind. Right. But they're, they're then I feel like once I put them down, they're kind of there. Um, I can usually find them if I want to, but at least I, if I've written it down, it's almost like I've committed it to memory in some way and then I can start. And then I'll have like, yeah, like the start of something or then I'll have like, 20 pages of something mm-hmm. and then I'll decide mm-hmm. mm, it's not right so I had I wrote the start of what I thought was the first draft of my next book and it it didn't have legs and so I'm not going to return to it and keep going with it but it, it was sort of almost like the I was getting something out of my system that might right you know, turn up in some different forms elsewhere. yeah so I know I feel like maybe I'm seasoned enough now to know that I don't have to push through on an idea that hasn't got legs. Now I know what, what, what works and what doesn't. And I'm so much more efficient in my writing process than I was. With Sister of Mine, that book was like, I mean, it's gone through so, it had like so many drafts and it's gone through so many iterations. And it's it was like pushing rope uphill. Love Heather was <laughs> fast and easy. And I felt like I was able to get that thing right. where I wanted to be. And same, I just, so I just finished the first draft of my next book and I feel like, same like I now I, I've got it now and like no it was still part of it was a dog's breakfast but yeah, yeah. I know how to make it work yeah um, which isn't to say that so my agent was like the first half's working great the second half needs a lot of work she could easily have said the reverse to me and right. sometimes I don't know why someone thinks something works right, right. but with a little bit of direction I feel like I can get there now yeah. in a way that before I, I felt like I was feeling my way around in the dark yeah you know it, 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 I think it's interesting with having s- the experience you have the willingness to accept that those comments are not hurtful. They're oh. they're meant to build oh my up. God, they're so helpful. In fact, yeah. every single time I've ever gotten notes from an editor, the very first thing I do is send back like a big thank you. Because like that yeah. is some really difficult work that they do. And I mean, yeah, like editors get thanked in the acknowledgments, but like they're the unsung heroes of, of the books. Like yeah. they, they do such incredible thorough work. They can like it's like turning a cruise ship. Like well, they, they should. They, they should be sure, doing. Sure, it's their job. But, <laughs> but, but they. But I feel very grateful to get them. I, I, I've never been in a position. I've been very fortunate to have such great editors. I've never been in a position where I reject any of the suggestions or notes that I've gotten from editors. I feel very, very fortunate and very grateful for the work that they do. Oh, that's great. For any of the listeners that are writers, the concept that you're doing this on your own is is probably the the biggest misconception mm-hmm. to writing. And I, you know. I don't think I've ever written anything where I haven't tried to get some kind of feedback from someone, whether or not that they're part of an industry or they are simply a person I know I respect their opinion. 
Um, the idea that you were sending over ideas to your friend, uh, Marissa, just offhandedly going, what do you think of this? Just to get a response of, nah, or yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- those two things mm-hmm. help to distill down how much you're going to work on. Like if someone freaks out and goes, oh my God, that's such a great idea. You know? I think, I mean, ideas are, I don't mean to say ideas are a dime a dozen, but like if I shoot it, what do you think? <laughs> but they are. Like, they, I mean, I'll send a lot of They aren't messages, to everyone though. But I'll shoot out these texts to my friend or I'll write these ideas down. But like, can I turn it into... 80,000 words like yeah it's a slog like so does it it's hard to know yet so okay so I send her like a one sentence text and love it yeah you know sure Every, I'm gonna love everything till we see like can you get it passed can you get 50, yeah can you get 50 pages can you get 100 pages can you for sure like I mean so I think that 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 is the tough part so ideas like a hook sounds great and then how do you get that nuance? How do you create those characters? How do you develop? How do you create this entire universe mm-hmm. that's populated with people and emotions? And then not only is there a world, but then how does that world turn? How how do how do you create that story arc? How is there kind of a, a moment where they get what they need, not what they want? Like yeah. how do you how do you do all of those things? That is the work. And yeah, yeah. That's the pushing through the the, the days where you're just going to be like, I'm going to go have another snack because it's too hard. <laughs> I will point out. Ideas are not a dime a dozen. There are a dime a dozen for you and there are a dime a dozen for, you know, a bunch of other people, but it is not coming up with things is not, is not a universal element to being human. Like I have now run into it as, as, you know, being part of the creative industry and being part of this place and being part of, you know, just, you know, being a creative in general. Ideas are not a dime a dozen. People come up with things and it is a, it is a gift. You have a gift. That not a lot of people have. Okay, maybe they're like a toonie who doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just think don't downplay ideas. Sure. Like, like, Fair enough. We, I guess I we, downplay them because, because I know. You, because I know you have a much, ton of them. How much? No, no. Or even if I have one, I know that that idea is only as good as how, where you can how take I, it. Where I can take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, I, like, I, don't, I, I don't disagree with that. I now, I don't, I mean, there's a certain thrill I get at coming up with something. But I, I know to, you know, to weigh that with, you know what it's going to take and how far I can take it. For sure. Oh yeah. 100%. What I, what I've discovered is the idea for me in particular, the idea is really easy to come up with. Yeah. Like I can come up with many ideas. Yeah. What I find is if I give an, if I tell somebody an idea, people can evolve an idea very easily. They may sure. not be able to come up with the idea to, to begin with, but they can take an idea and change it to suit themselves. Yeah, like if we told 10 people the same hook, mm-hmm. where does that, story go I mean I did I in my undergrad I did a fine art degree and I was a painter and we had this painting professor and I'll never forget I mean we were so precious about our work of course because we were like 20 years old yeah illustration same thing right Uh, but just being young Mm -hmm. right like that we were so precious it's so important so important it's so important Lori, don't. and she she was this very intense parisian professor and her name was colette and she, oh of and course she would say okay you're now going to move on you're all going to switch canvases and you had to move to the person next to you and continue the painting yeah that's their, a great that's a great painting. exercise it was great exercise it was so interesting and then come back and try to you know um try to deal with that 
um, make sense of that feeling that you had of not being able to let go, but also see what something had, someone had the direction someone had taken it, which was really interesting, and and try to work on someone else's, mm-hmm. and and again grapple with that idea. So I think I mean not that writing t- writing isn't typically collaborative, um, but that idea that anyone could take any one of these things in a oh, completely yeah. different direction, depending on what kind of writing the exquisite you are. corpse concept, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my 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 friend uh, Chetan runs a comic book called TikTok Tom. He's been running it since college, and he's fifty, and so. What his concept behind it was, he had this character, TikTok Tom, and he invited people to contribute to the book. So you would maybe get, you would say, I will do two pages. Mm -hmm. You didn't know what happened before. You didn't know what happened after. Your two pages were an insulated part of the story. And so he would say, the pages before you have these characters in them. And you would take those characters and you would write your bit of the story and then hand them off. Same it artist? Was, no, together. never the same artist. The same. So you would like, so I would draw my two pages or three oh, pages. so it was a writer, illustrator. You were the writer and illustrator, illustrator yeah. right? So like it was just a bunch of comic book fans yeah. that were like, man, I really like it. So yeah. it all came down to like, you know, each issue was drawn and written by 10 different people. Yeah. And it was a really interesting prospect in that, yeah. you know, they were self-published and they sure. were, you know, they bring them to Silver Snail and whatnot. And it was just like, a, I cannot believe he's still doing it. Mm-hmm. And once it became a real comic book, and I, I hate to say it that way, but it's like once it became one writer, one artist, one inker, you know, it, it, it lost a lot of its charm. Sure. Chetan, I'm sorry. But it is one of those things that, you know, you can't run that you can't run it like a like a swap meet forever obviously no, of course not. at some point you're going to take it seriously and that's what he did is he started taking it seriously it's a beautiful comic i love it i don't know if you can buy it they they publish it for free i believe uh tick tock tom dot com i will i think it's intentionally meant to be hard to say that's the funny thing too is titles like so the americans on my book wanted to change sister of mine to matchbook sisters which I liked in writing, but I couldn't say it without stumbling That's over my weird. tongue. That's weird. Matchbook Sisters. Um, in the no, end, Sister of Mine's good. Sister I like of mine, sis- in the end, they went with Sister of Mine. Yeah. Um, naming things is hard. Naming things is hard. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my. I'm the worst. T- I've never titled any of my books. Um, and I'm trying to title really? one right now. No. And I'm trying to name the, the one that I just wrote. And, you know, my poor agent, like, I keep saying, what do you think about this? And I think in that moment, I think I've got it. And then she'll be like, no. Oh, and I'll be like, yeah, no. you're right. That's terrible. No, but, zoological yeah, really centropism is not going to work at all. <laughs> you know, we, but I mean, like, as, as someone that, you know, the podcast coming up with the name Can't Sell This, the the the, the event calling it First Next Step, like mm-hmm. like all those things. I've been very fortunate, and once it's named, I do not want to change. I don't want to change sure. it, you know. You and I mean, I've been, I've been. It's like naming your kid. Yeah. You can't go back. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, you I know. I was able to do that. Thank God. Were you? Yeah. You changed your kid's name? No. Oh. I mean, I was able to name them. Oh. oh. <laughs> we really. <laughs> well, it's a whole other story. We we we've stuck with the names we've given our kids, although I, you know, we call them. A variety of things well, within sure. the realm of those names sure. you know um anyways that was a whole other aside um living in asides is, is my is my world one of the things that always strikes me about uh authors is and we've already talked about the concept of like how you generate your ideas where you take your ideas from and, and, and things like that do you provide yourself with or, or do you create for yourself a schedule to do your writing? Do you say, I'm going to write from this time to this time? And how do you get over that hump of, I may have scheduled this, but 
I don't want to write right now. I guess the difference is that I usually have to put, like, I want to write. And so I write in the mornings, um, but on the days that I'm not coming into Ryerson. So I don't write on the bus, for instance. I can edit on the bus, but Mm. I can't generate new writing. It's just I feel too exposed. Mm. But I work at my local coffee shop, and I go there after I drop my kids off, and I'll, I'll, I'll write. But sometimes I'll have lots of other stuff that I have to do, and I have to tell myself okay that stuff's for the afternoon because right. my creative mind kind of works best in the morning and uh and i can't wait to get to it so um you know i i, I my routine i would say is knowing that the days that i don't come in here that i am going to write in the mornings um but i'm always so reluctant to talk about you know there's sort of this right every day only a little bit doesn't matter i mean you know that like doesn't I, work for everyone it doesn't work for everyone i'm a working mom like i spend sometimes i'm writing in my car at a soccer pitch mm-hmm. like it's not glamorous and um it might just be a few sentences and it might be a lot, but like I'm, when I signed with my agent, she said, you're the first writer I've ever had to say to add more. But like, I don't write a lot. Like I'm not right. someone who has, who writes this huge tome and then has to cut it down in half. Like, yeah, I, yeah. so it's hard for me to write a lot and I kind of deliberate over sentences hmm. and agonize over them and, you know, and then reread them and then try to maintain that same momentum that I, so sometimes when I start writing, I start, I always start with reading whatever I wrote the day before and I'll sort of putz around with it a little bit and then I'll get that momentum back and keep going where I left off. But um, like I say, write as often as you can, as so long as it, it fits, as long as you can make yeah. it work. Um, but I think that it is important to try to have it regularly because otherwise you do lose that momentum and you lose that well, you know, yeah, and, and do, you, do you feel that uh, I'm just making assumptions now, but do, do you feel that were you to write on a, a disparate set of ideas that you would lose the voice if you if you're like, oh, well, I'm really wrapped up in this particular thing. Then you move on to a different idea, then come back. Do you feel that perhaps the, the voice that you had been writing is no longer the voice that's there? It's actually tinged it's by I, mean, I try to stay with one project, but like so I just finished that book. I'll probably get notes on it. And then it's this whole waiting process. Like, no one ever talks about this. Maybe they do. But, like, it can be be months. Like, so your book gets submitted to publishers, and then it feels like you're just clawing at the walls waiting to hear back. Really? And you might hear back from one, and they might take a pass, and then still being considered. Or, like, there's such a long... And so then you have to start another project. Yeah. And so what might happen is you'll start another project, and then someone will buy the book, and then you'll get notes from that editor, and then you can't wait to start on those notes, because that that book is now... But you're in the middle of writing something else, right? So that's fine. So then it's like, okay, so then once you're done all your editing notes, you submit it again. And then you're in the waiting period again. And so you can return to the thing that you... So your projects sometimes start out of that. They're like the waiting room projects. Like you are writing them because you're waiting to get back from... Hear back from something else. Because so much waiting and writing. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. That that has never come up. So, I mean, you would be... Well, you're not the first author. So, like, we've had... We had another author. uh, Author, excuse me. Um, And he he also evangelized the use of a a good editor. And and knowing, you know, how to deal with... um, changes and, and comments and, and whatnot. But the idea that something might take longer than you expect, that is really, well, it's, that's it's eye-opening. Expect, it's because you expect it in the afternoon and you get it four weeks later. Like, right. we're, we're ridiculously impatient, like yeah. notoriously awful. Like we think that... Everybody is though. I mean, no, typically sure, everybody I mean, writers is. Writers are just like, we <laughs> are awful. Like, why are you why are you answering my book? Why are you looking at my yeah, book? Yeah, like it's been, it's been 24 thing. hours. Not, I haven't heard back from Not you. thinking that that particular publisher might have 20 books sitting oh, on sure. their desk. And, sure. Yeah. And you know that. Your rational self knows that you're yeah. being completely outrageous in your, in your anxiety. But like, 
you know, so it's hard. So the only thing to distract you from being ridiculous is more writing. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, that's it. So then that's how projects start. And then you'll get notes. But, but editing's different. So when you ask if you lose that voice, so like, you know, you might get notes back and you're now you're working with something that's already got like it's already a lump of something. It's not nothing. And so yeah. then you can you're that massaging and that refining and revising and editing is different than the starting from scratch that you're doing over here that you started when you're when you were waiting. And so they're different it's a different approach and it's different voices. And like I said, I can edit on the bus or I can edit at night. Right, but right. Fresh writing is Because it might be like, look, this is an odd sentence or sure. this or, or this particular passage is is a is a, is not what I would think lends itself sure. to this whole or like you know the whole yeah. second half sucks <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes it's, I think you're being very be, generous like that's like line uh, edits which you get much further but, but, down but, the road but, but okay but I mean like the whole <laughs> second half that's gotta be you know that, that can't that can't be a thing but you know it's a different <laughs> it's, it's true it does happen but like or you know change the entire point of view or add more characters or or usually it's like dial up the tension and yeah. what things can you do to to change it to create this tension that is beginning and percolating yeah. at the beginning and starts it's to, funny you know so i would say that yeah projects start when you're in the waiting mode and there's so much waiting like, yeah i feel like i'm a really spartan um creator too so it, you know a lot of things i design are real simple like i don't like having a lot of clutter mm-hmm. meanwhile i've got a friend um in in uh uh, Orlando Hydro 74 who is a really cluttered designer like and he's beautiful his work is amazing but I, I just cannot conceive of the idea of all of the detail required I wrote I designed a you know a, a, a t-shirt that was like a sorry piece and it was just the sorry piece and I put some lines around it and people were like oh my god I'm like yeah I know but I'm not making it any more complicated than that and even when I wrote that short story the the vampire short story you know, Stefan read it and he had his notes were like, add this, add this, add this. We need this other thing. And I'm like, no, it's a short story. It needs to be at most 10 pages mm-hmm. because I don't want to have anything additional to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our back and forth was him go was it was him like he should pick up the phone or he should do this and, and we should have this perspective. And we and I would just come back. Oh, I don't want that. I don't want. I don't want to overcomplicate the message. Yeah. My first Globe and Mail review for Between said, brevity is its soul. And I like always think about that. Like that, that, that I, had to feel good though, I right? Because I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel bad about the fact that I try, that I am, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, an economic or a concise writer. Yeah. Um, Although, you know, so writing a novel for me after writing short stories was hard. Like, I f- tried to trick myself into writing chapters as though they were short stories. I honestly have no idea. Oh, yeah. See, that was okay. a bad idea. Don't ever do that. It was a okay. mistake. That's too bad. I was no, really, that really forward sucks. to that being the answer. No, okay, that's not well. the answer. In fact, like, that was my approach. And then I had to I had to revise that book. Like I said, now yeah. I know how to write a novel. I didn't then. Yeah. Well, when I, no. so when I written the short story, so the idea was that I would write the short story and then I would adapt it into a short film and we yeah. would we would make it happen. I don't know how you make that happen. Whatever. Anyway, so... I'd written the short story and then I spoke to one of our previous guests who is an author and I, and and he goes, I love it. You've created a whole world and now you can write a follow up. And I was like, what? Like the idea of writing a follow up that is not also a short story to me is I'd rather just can I just hand that character off to yeah. someone else? And I mean, it's a female character. I really I can only go so far in how sure. I identify with a female characters, sure. you know, in, in terms of the short story, the message is what it is and I can get away with it. Sure. I can't, I don't think I can. I don't think I could write a whole story about this person. Yeah. Unless that was, so Love Heather actually started as a short story and uh, that never saw the light of day, but it was sort of a short story for me. So it was sort of like a means by which I was able to create Stevie, who's the main character 
and her mother and their relationship and her relationship with her best friend, which, you know, has all changed. Mm -hmm. It's all different in the novel, but it started at like as something like I was saying that that idea of who she was was really important to me and what you know what became of her and so that started as sort of a a little short story that never saw the light of day but I was able to then say okay I can blow this out now that's cool basically it was notes the liner notes yeah (laughs) I opened the book and there's the thing I intentionally wrote it you know that's uh, oh shit well that's cool hmm yeah uh, I don't have anything else to ask that I can think of off the top of my head. I really, I really do appreciate your presence, though. I'm so I, glad that you invited me. This has been really fun. I, I don't, uh, I, I don't know a ton of authors, and I, I've always loved the idea that the, the creative process of writing is something that could be quantified in some way. And they're I don't, out there in the world. There are there are so many of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God! Talking to Lori Petru, I'm so excited. You know, they're having your conversations, really and they're like. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I forget people listen to it. Like that's a, I get a message or I get an email or, and someone says like, oh, I just heard this episode. I just love it. I'm like, oh, it's great. Could you like it on, you know, in, uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts? Right? Write a you review. That'd be really that. cool. Like, I think that that's an important just final note is that like if you like something. So I, I'm reading this wonderful book by Nell Scavell, the screenwriter called Just the Funny Parts. And I, you know, sent her a message. I'm like, I love this. All of our students should read this. And mm-hmm. she said, spread the word. So yeah. even someone who's like, you know, top of her game, has like 30 years experience writing in Hollywood is like, tell people. Tell people. Yeah. Right? Like, and so that's it. If you're a fan of someone's work, like tell other people. There's a woman who came up to me. I tweeted about this too, but like I do kickboxing. And there's a woman who came up to me in my dojo and said, I read your book. Yeah. You're like, okay, well. I'm like, why are you whispering? <laughs> Shout it out. Tell everyone else here. <laughs> Tell all the other girls. And it's, yeah. there's a certain amount of like, Reluctance. I mean, on my part, there's a certain amount of reluctance to tell people. Like, could you spread the word? I know it's embarrassing. Because like, because this is it's semi personal. Like, it's it's me just chatting with people, and I I I find it difficult that anybody would want to hear it. But you know what? Someone, another author on Facebook, who I you know a wonderful writer, was like, "Listen, Goodreads means a lot to authors." So if you read my book and you loved it, take the time to create an account and and write a review. Because it, it means a lot. And it doesn't take much time at all. Another author yeah. that I know created, so with awe, and she's like a best-selling author. She created like an instruction page that she included as basically as a bookmark for all of her friends who came to her launch. On how was you like, can yeah. rate it and help yeah. you. Here's, what, here's how you can join yeah. Goodreads. Here's how you create an account. Here's how you can, so here's how you can support me. So it's not just coming here, but like the 20 minutes that it takes to kind of sign on and write that, not even, 10 minutes to do this makes a difference. Like yeah. that sort of, th- and so asking your friends to go that one extra step to just sort of spread the word is not, it's cringy, but yeah. it's not the worst thing in the world and actually does have long lasting and a lot effects. of them don't mind i mean like no. the, the the one thing that that I, I i think the thing is that because my son really wanted to be a youtuber at one point and i bought him a computer and a camera and all that stuff it was the hi guys hi guys hi guys don't forget to like and subscribe <laughs> yeah. like i always feel like such an a-hole you know, like saying but it out loud but live, that's that's where we live in because we're old we're, you know? we live in a culture of shameless promotion yeah i, I just i'm not good yeah. at it no, no no um but on that note, like it really is a, you you have got this podcast from a service. That service has ratings and has reviews. If you could leave a rating and a review yeah. of this episode or of the podcast in general, that helps visibility. And it was like listening to another podcast where the guy said that at the end, he says, you know, listen, these all matter. I don't, you know, we, we, we don't want it to be true, but if you could leave a rating and if you could leave a review, it helps 
raise us up in sure. the whole listing because there are thousands of podcasts. It's hard to stand out above the noise. Uh, Be heard? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Buck up. <laughs> Buck up, little soldier. <laughs> really? Yeah, my last day at work. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Going out for drinks after work. You know, drink, hey, wearing a right. Hawaiian shirt. Um, no, I'm actually, this is my last day shirt. It's a good shirt. Yeah, my wife brought it back from Australia. It's good. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good It's a party thing. shirt. It's a party shirt, man. I'll tell you. I will put a link to this shirt Leave or I will put a photo. We do show notes. So here's something I'm going to do. And I, I wanted anybody who's still listening. <laughs> I, I assume everybody listens right to the end. Here's what I'm going to do is I am going to purchase a copy of uh, Love Heather. And actually, I'm going to purchase two copies. This is what I want to do. I'm going to purchase two copies of Love Heather. I'm going to bring one here and get you to sign it. Sure. And who, if you're still listening and you email me oh, a giveaway. at hugh at com, I will mail you a, I'll mail you that copy. I'll do you one better. I will include a card that has, so I did this on another giveaway where like I include a little card that includes some like the first draft had this and you know, oh. one of the characters used to have a dog. And so some little extra tidbits okay Um, okay. we're gonna do a giveaway but this is what we're gonna do instead because i think if someone just emails me and they haven't earned it that's not (laughs) what what would be what would let's ask a question (laughs) how do we prove how do we prove someone is a is a fan of what of the podcast of the pot no they listen to the end no (laughs) (laughs) that's the reward that could just be because they like you that has nothing to do with listening to me no i think i think it should be a, a a Lori petru trivia question oh god from oh no but from this episode so all they gotta do is answer a question from the episode okay. so what is what do you think is something that i know i have it all right what is the name of the friend that you text ideas to <laughs> okay don't give it I won't okay it. so she, answer that question <laughs> and i will and dependent on the number of uh people that email it's either going to be the first person or the only person or it'll be to i'll just randomly choose out okay. of that and this this episode isn't coming out for a month, okay. so we have time to really push it. Yeah, and I have also some really good to, unicorn cards. So. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so there's going to be a unicorn <laughs> card, and on top of that, I'll, I'm going to give you a can't sell this pin. Oh, you're getting a can't sell this pin because Everyone's you're a guest. Getting one. Well, you're getting one. You're, <laughs> you're getting, getting one. Guests always get a pin. Okay, oh, but okay. you like will pins. also get a pin. But okay. um, yeah. Uh, so a pin, okay. a book, some kind of bookmark with a note, and all you got to do is have listened to this episode. Yeah. From the beginning yeah. and gotten a name out of it. What's not to love? Oh, I'm so excited. I've never done a giveaway before. Oh. This is my first. You're going to end up presenting it. You'll be like, now i got to go to the post mm, office. No, just, I'm going to go to Amazon <laughs> right now and just order the books and just send them to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I'll just come pick them up when it, okay, when it okay, suits. Okay, that, that makes sense. sense, right? That makes sense. Yeah. As opposed to like two different uh, stops. Yeah. Thanks Lori, for having me. this ends on such a positive note. I mean, it was a positive episode to begin with, but yeah. I mean, like, I just, I'm so stoked about the idea of doing me a giveaway. Stefan's going to be like, what did you do? I'm like, I give a give, giveaway. Give, give I'm going to yeah. give away something every time. Oh. That's not true. I'm okay. not going to do that. Just this one. Okay. Maybe all the time. Okay. I don't know. I'm a generous person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited about buying a book. Good. Um, so uh, I know, hold on. I know we're done. It's okay. But this is the last thing and we'll do a lead out. Okay. What I do is I buy books I read them and then I think of who would like this book and I give the book to them. Great idea. 
so I don't own a ton of books anymore. And part of that was because of constantly moving as a college student. Uh, and I don't like giving books to stores. I don't like giving books to Goodwill or whatever, although I understand the, the use of it. Books to me are something that you choose to read. And if you enjoy it, you you pass it yeah. along. And so like that's that's how I do it and probably what I'll do with Love Heather. Did I happen to give you my copy of On the Come Up? Because I can't find it. I don't have a copy of anything. <laughs> this is my problem. I give them away and then I want them back. <laughs> I don't want it. Yeah. So no, you didn't give me a copy of anything. So okay. Um, okay. And that this is it then. Okay. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. This has been such a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Lori I'm, Petru. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content in this episode is copyright Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Intro voice is Jeff Wright. Opening and closing track is Watch Him They Said from the 2018 album Hypocritic Oath by Not Of. All inquiries can be directed to admin at cancellthispodcast.com.